Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today our focus will be on what it means to be forgiven and a bit of history of what forgiveness looks like throughout the Bible. And by no means will this message cover but a fraction of all aspects of God's forgiveness from the beginning of humankind. So when do we get our first account of God's amazing forgiveness? Right at the beginning, before the foundations of the world. Because forgiveness is the very nature of God. But unlike God, our nature, the nature of humankind, is often not very forgiving. And I'm not talking about forgiving someone for little things, which is usually pretty easy to do. I'm talking about the big things in life that require every ounce of our being to forgive someone or people for an egregious offense. And that is not a simple thing to do at all. Everyone knows it can be a very emotional and a very difficult time to sincerely forgive someone. And for some of us, there are those in our lives we have never been able to forgive. Forgiveness, however, is not a standalone act. Forgiveness must be tied to repentance. And repentance must be deeply rooted in the heart of the perpetrator to freely and fully surrender to their offense and likewise fully accept the consequence, even in the face of having been forgiven. Extremely painful acts such as adultery, murder, theft, emotional abuse, physical abuse, abandonment, to name a few, are often in the category of those things that cut to our core of things that we determine are unforgivable. The pain these and other experiences often create are so deep and for many have left open wounds that have never healed over or have left disfiguring scars that render us unable to extend our genuine forgiveness. And so remember, just because you've been forgiven does not mean you will get off without a consequence. As we are seeing, and as most of us know, forgiveness is one of the hardest emotional acts we may ever experience in life. Again, depending on the offense that has been committed against us. But pain and anguish also very much exist in repenting and the battle within of admitting we are wrong. So here we have two acts, forgiveness and repentance, and both require the whole of us with intense discipline and dedication to do what on occasion seems impossible or is something we want to hold over someone's head because we have determined they deserve our wrath. And this is a very natural reaction. And if you are struggling in either or both of these areas in your life, you are certainly not alone and you are very normal and very human. But normal human is not a pass to get us off the hook in the eyes of God. Let's turn this a bit, however, and look at this from a different angle. And that of forgiveness and repentance when we have done something wrong and we need to be the one repenting and the one who really desires to be forgiven for that wrong. For example, we want to be forgiven for our wrongs. We want others to accept with open arms our sincere apology. And we hate when others hold our offenses against us. In certain instances, we get angry if someone does not accept our apology. And we might try to sound tough and say we don't care, but most people care very much if they are hated or intensely disliked or have something held over them that they have done, something they have confessed for, yet are not being forgiven with that then, it is very important to remember in the same way we want to be forgiven for our misdeeds when we repent, so it is we must deliver to others the same in every circumstance. 
I think we've set the stage at this point to ask the question of what then must we do in order to truly forgive someone who has really hurt us, and in like manner, how we truly repent to someone we have really hurt. Before I forget, it is important to mention that just because we repent does not mean we are to expect that we will automatically be forgiven. And just because we forgive does not mean others will accept that they have ever done wrong. Neither of these expectations are valid expectations in either situation, because that is not why we are called to repent or forgive. But even if we are fully aware that we are not to forgive or repent with motives, it can and often does add a whole new level of hurt and pain and anguish when we don't believe we are getting in return what is rightly deserved. So what does genuine forgiveness look like, and where do we first witness the act of complete forgiveness take place? in Genesis. And this will take us to our first passage, that from Genesis 3.6. But I will take Genesis 3.6 just a bit further as a quick review, because the whole of this is very important and what leads up to the necessity of forgiveness. So a quick review, beginning in Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now we come to verses 14 through 20, which I will paraphrase, and these verses are where God lays down the law with Adam and Eve and gives them their consequences and the consequences that will plague society until Christ returns. And then we get to verse 21, and we read this, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. And verse 21 is loaded with incredible information and insight, and this verse is one we cannot overlook when we look at forgiveness. In this one sentence of verse 21, we learn that an animal was slaughtered, a living creature, and it had nothing to do with what Adam and Eve did. But God took this innocent animal and killed it, and for the sole purpose of providing a covering for the two perpetrators that broke the law. Yes, Adam and Eve engaged in illegal activity. They committed a crime for all intents and purposes. The authorities said, do not do this thing or else. But they did it regardless, and they got caught, and they got punished. What's the adage? If you do the crime, you do the time. And they got a pretty stiff sentence and landed themselves in a world of hurt and pain and suffering and trials and misery for the remainder of their earthly existence. And compared to the life of perfection they knew, what they walked into probably felt comparable to a jail yard. And there was no going back, at least on this side of heaven. However, just because God followed through on his promise that things would get really bad if they didn't follow the rules, the law, follow God, Unbeknownst to Adam and Eve, God handed them an incredibly loving token of his forgiveness. 
the killing of an innocent animal that would be used to cover up their sin and shame. Think about that. You do something wrong and something else has to lose its life to forgive you, to right your wrong. That's pretty unthinkable. Shouldn't it be the one who commits the offense needs to pay the whole price and no one or anything else should be involved or should have to suffer in any way? But that is not at all how God saw it and sees it with regards to us to this day. And this is the first glimpse in God's Word that clearly shows us exactly how loving and amazing and kind and compassionate and forgiving God was and will be and still is today. But this sacrificial animal that was chosen by God represents something far bigger than a one-off event just for two people's mistake. This act by God in Genesis 3.21 for Adam and Eve is flawlessly duplicated yet again for each one of us. Let's look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Just like we see in Genesis 3, God chose what had absolutely nothing to do with our wrongdoing and used it as a sacrifice to cover us exactly as he did for Adam and Eve. And the sacrifice God chose this time was not just an animal, which up to this point were regularly used as the offering for the forgiveness of sins. But this time, God goes one step further and chooses his son, the very likeness of himself and the very likeness of us, yet is completely innocent. Now it is a man who becomes the new sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. John 1.36, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Let's look at Revelation 5.12 as well. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And all of this is to show us how much he loves us and his commitment to forgiving us if we so choose to accept what he did and why. And once again, we see the slaughtering of innocents. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 1.18-20. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, and that would be Adam and Eve and everyone who would follow, you were not ransomed with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot. Sounds like the Garden of Eden. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And this passage alone proves that God always had a plan to forgive us, a plan for a Savior, a plan for a way out. And we see the second we turn our backs on God, He immediately and without hesitation took the best of the best perfection and placed every last sin we could ever possibly commit on this human sacrifice, the spotless Lamb of God, and again, just as He did in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Consider this in the equation as well. God did say to Adam up front, if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. However, while that did eventually come to pass, that Adam and Eve would eventually die in their earthly bodies, it was surprisingly something else that died first. Again, this beautifully mirrors the intense, unfathomable love and forgiving nature of God in spite of what we do, and even in the face of us not being willing to forgive one another just as he has forgiven us. I can't imagine the true terror Adam and Eve must have experienced after they ate that fruit and their eyes were opened to exactly what they had done. We see in Genesis that Adam said, I hid because I was afraid. Very likely, he recalled those words from God, if you eat that fruit, you will die. 
Adam and Eve had no clue that the first death, however, would be something other than them. They never dreamed God would spare them for the time being in place of another. And that says to me, we truly have one incredible, forgiving, and loving Father yet again. And this is exactly how we are to forgive one another, sacrificially. No, we are not to kill ourselves. Nowhere is that remotely recommended anywhere in God's Word. But we are to forgive sacrificially in the sense that we are to truly put to death our desires, will, our control that would hinder us from not forgiving everyone else. But how often do we say or think when someone commits an offense against us, especially if it's bad, I'm going to get you for this. You are going to pay for this. Essentially, I will decide how this perpetrator will pay the price. It will be on my terms. And that is putting yourself in a position which will lead you to have to go and repent and confess to God to forgive you. And that then puts you in the same position as the one you are attempting to control for the wrong they have done. What does Romans 12, 19, 21 say about this? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Just like Adam and Eve, we know exactly what to do and what not to do, and we know full well the consequences of our actions when we do wrong, and that is no secret. And even today, after seeing what has happened to others who do the same things and the consequences they have received, We still keep plowing along in hideous rebellion and indifference to God's laws and to the laws of our land with little thought to what it is we do. We want to remain in control. Yet God, knowing all of this, still took what was perfectly innocent and used it to die in our place for everything we could ever do wrong to cover us up so that we would no longer live in shame. And this unreal forgiveness is played out in one of my favorite parables in the Bible and that of the prodigal son. Another beautiful example of how quickly we are forgiven and how much God desires to forgive us. The parable shows us that a boy rejected his father, actually wished he were dead, took the inheritance and everything he could get, ran off, did his own thing, lost everything he did have, found himself starving to death while taking care of pigs. But the boy came to his senses and knew he had to repent and seek the forgiveness of his father or he would die. And so it was, the boy came back to his dad and repented for his actions. And the father saw his boy coming back and saw him a long way off. And that father, when he saw him, got up. He ran to him and kissed him. And from here, we will pick up the rest of the story, starting in verse 21 through 24 of Luke 15. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Notice here the true repentance on behalf of the son and that of coming back to his father, admitting he had done it all wrong. We see the son sacrificed his ego. He sacrificed his pride and all he knew that he did against his dad. And all of this is demonstrated here in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We see as quickly as the boy was embraced by his father, the father covered this boy up with his very own robe, put a ring on his finger, and shoes on his feet. Notice the father in the story did not think twice about sacrificing his best robe and ring and shoes for his son. The dad wasn't at all concerned that he was putting beautiful clothes, his own best clothing, on a messed up, filthy person. The father dressed his son up to look like him. He made him beautiful, a completely new person. The boy was put in right standing with his father, and the father rejoices and says, My son was lost, but is now found. That is the ultimate forgiveness. That is our model for what forgiveness must look like. And forgiveness is mandatory if you wish to be in right standing with God. Matthew 6.15 says, If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. But let's keep going with just a few more passages of how intense God's love and forgiveness is for those who accept it. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's continue with Romans 5.10 and then 17-18. through 18. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? For if by the trespasses of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people, and that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and just as it was demonstrated in the beginning. Whether you choose to admit it or not, God is a very forgiving God, and He is waiting to forgive us. And when we come to our senses and begin our walk back to Him, He will know we are coming, and He will get up and run to us, kiss us, and renew us. And all of this will take place through what He has already done, and that of His death and resurrection. The robe, the ring, the shoes are all waiting for us, and so is the celebration when we acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior. Luke 15, 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So how do we receive the gift of righteousness, as in being made right with God? How are we justified? How do we receive the incredible gift of forgiveness, the life-changing and free gift of salvation? You will need to come to your senses. You will need to declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And then you will be made right with God, fully forgiven and fully covered. Off with the old, on with the new. You are not too filthy for the robe. There is nothing you have done to eliminate you from being made righteous, worthy of the gift of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So the moral of the message, God can't wait to forgive you for everything and make you right with him. If you have accepted this awesome transforming gift, excellent. If you have not, why not give it some thought? If you like what you are hearing, I invite you to join us for worship. And for more information on times and location, please visit the Four Peaks Christian Church website at www.fourpeakschurch.com.